0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information.
1: 1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit City of Champions. Detroit City of Champions, the podcast. I'm Jamie Flanagan along with. And we got to turn his mic up.
2: <laughs> test, test, there we go. Usually, test before the show, but uh, during the show is just as effective. <laughs> <laughs> when Thanks. you get here, not like five minutes. To that's go, just that's, what they're that's expecting on you. you. are not supposed <laughs> to talk about pre-production issues. <laughs> Thanksgiving. That's, I got later. here right on time. I was here on time, just like I always am for everything. On Thanksgiving time. later. Uh, yeah. Don't make me Thanks, turn, Tom. turn this. Don't make me turn the show around.
1: Don't. All right, Detroit City of Champions. It's the podcast. Uh, there's a trilogy of books written by. Charles Avison, and it's, uh, Detroit City of Champions, and it's, it's, it's chronicling the 1935 year in, in sports history, Detroit sports history. Uh, just astounding. 33 championships won, and just uh, amazing, amazing stuff. And in, in his travels, Charles came across many people to, to help him tell this story. And, uh, one of those people, we've been, we've been digging into, uh, his, radio archive of just some amazing uh pieces of print and then some astounding pieces of audio that uh tom Yurick was able to gather tom thanks for being back with us
3: well it's an honor to be here and uh you just can't get enough of the city of champions yeah it's it's, uh, just, it, it's a phenomenal and when i go out i tell people and they just are, are amazed i said you got to get charles book you will you'll hear it <laughs> all. yeah tom
2: yeah tom's been great man it's like um just uh yeah I mean I've known him for how long have we know about 10 years well, now. easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's just you're just Tom's like I mean just I mean the biggest like you know supporter for me, you know, but uh but just the city of champions in general like I I always talk about whenever I talk about Tom I always say like, you know, this man was bitten by the bug, just like, just like I Once you get bit by the city of champions oh bug, there's just, you're, you're done. I mean, it's, it's just such a fascinating story and it grips you.
1: But I, we talk about the, the city of champions story being uh, the most, Forgotten story, the most important story in sports history, and and I, your books are an argument for that. That it is. Well, I say
2: the most important season in Detroit sports history, without yeah. a doubt. You yeah. know, that's you know, I did, you know make sure we say you know, I say I say Detroit. You know what I mean? because yeah. Because of I, the I, impact that it had on this city, yeah. and on this state. Yeah.
1: I, I'd say it's it's important in, in sports history. We, oh, it's well, we can, one of no. the most important.
2: Oh, it's it's. I mean, it's it's. I think it's the greatest season in, in American sport history. But as you know, but as far with regard to its importance I, I mean there's no there's no season in the history of detroit yeah. sports that oh. had more of an impact on detroit oh yeah than this one than this one year yeah. and, without, a, without a doubt yep.
1: yeah and 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 they and we say it's a forgotten uh because it and it it, it pretty much has been and and the, the totally pieces forgotten. of the pieces of tape that we, we were listening to um Tom, you were able to attend a, a, a banquet that was held on the fiftieth anniversary uh, of the nineteen thirty-five championship, you the, the, the Lions, Lions' first championship. Yeah. and He was the
2: only media there, and yeah, right. where's and, the you know where are the main like the main I say mainstream press? Where are they at? There was nobody there for that event. Nobody was there for that event. Don Shula is speaking at the event as a surprise guest. As a surprise guest, true, right, but at right. the same time, you've got you got fiftieth anniversary of the Lions' first championship. And, and, it's just, t- and you know what I mean? Tom is the, like there's no other media yeah. there. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like Tom is the only like these these tapes that we're playing on this show right now. This is the only you know actual firsthand information to come out of this incredible event. Yeah. You know,
3: well, matter of fact, the newspapers didn't come uh, in '85. I was checking the weekend that they were there. There yeah. was no story. No story no, about no, the no, event. No nothing. No,
2: nothing. No. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like no a recollection of this. That's, 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 that's the most puzzling thing. When we say forgotten, Jamie, when I say almost kind of sort of forgotten, this story was forgotten. Yeah. I yep. mean, in my, my initial study, again, let's, I want to take everybody back to the first, when I first heard about this story. All right. I was a senior at Western in a, in an apartment. Okay, me and my two friends, Jeremy Hunter and uh, Kevin Bush, were hanging out in my apartment, and we and we were just going through this whole Detroit Tiger media guide. Mm-hmm. And we came across this random fact on the 19—I didn't even know what year the Tigers had won their first championship. Right. And we were going through the thing and um going through the book, and we looked it up, 1935, sure enough. And then the bottom of the page with a little asterisk, it says, did you know— that the Lions and Red Wings also won their, their championships in this season. And I was like, I never uh. heard that. That's kind of cool. And I was taking a sports history class at that moment and needed a topic to choose. Mm-hmm. And so I chose this just to find out, just to like, you know, find out a little bit more about it. And that's when I went to the original books. I had to write a two page paper. <laughs> two pages. Yeah. And keep in mind, I had just come back from the University of Edinburgh, Scotland, one of the foremost history colleges in the world oh, for studying golly. history. And I have to write a two page paper about a Detroit sports topic, sure. okay? And when I try to write a two page paper, I cannot, I just go, you know, just like anything. You go to the books, you go to the internet. You go to, you know, these different, you know, your basics, your know, search functions. And I could not find enough information to fill a two-page paper. Man, oh man. I'm either the, a horrendous historian. I'm either a horrendous <laughs> researcher and learned nothing along my ways about how to look up a story of <laughs> a simple two-page book report. Or there's literally nothing there. And if there's no information on something, if there's no information to remind modern-day people who are no longer there. And right. that's by, like I say, by definition, this is a story that has been literally forgotten.
1: Right, and 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 you've resurrected it. There we're trying it with all these, the, these books. This,
2: this was the first, in my mind, this was the step. The first step was to isolate exactly to nail down factual evidence of what took place. Mm-hmm. That was the first step was to build a cornerstone around because there's all this like mythology around it like oh they won how many championships I don't know. How you know who did what, I don't know. Are you sure there was 30, you know, 33 sounds a bit ridiculous. Are you sure there's that many? Uh-huh. Yes, there were and I went through every single one, presented the evidence systematically going through it. And what this is so the goal of this book was to focus on this season mm-hmm. and to identify you know, fact from fiction and to say what happened in 1935. That was my goal, was to establish a foundation of fact. And upon that fact, now it's the job of everybody that hears this story or reads the story like this— to to help, you know, to like, you know, to bring the story back, you know, like that's the now that now we are in the effort of bringing the story back to the modern day. And again, I point to the evidence which is in these books to say yes, the story happened, mm-hmm. and now it's time to bring it back, you know.
1: And it is great. I mean, you can scour YouTube and you, you'll find some clips of some vintage football, and you'll you'll find some vintage. Uh, Portsmouth clips and you'll find some vintage uh Lions clips sure. uh from the day. And actually it was uh the just on Tom and I were talking about this before the show. Uh Thanksgiving is is a big tra- Detroit tradition. Uh and it began uh with the football game which was the very first season for the Lions here in 1934.
3: At- yeah exactly. And the first broadcast. Yeah, and the first
1: coast to
2: coast coast to yep, coast broadcast. Across broadcast. Across exactly. Across the whole country. Yep, exactly. So that was
1: pretty interesting and then we were commenting that uh they finally acknowledged it. Um the the 30 the 34 year but they didn't mention the championship <laughs> yeah. in thirty-five. No, so they they had a picture of the game. It's like, ah, eh, and the Lions lost. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but they won the next year against that same team, it, and then they won the championship. And that. game and, was they left huge. That, yeah. and they left that, and they let that go. Yeah. And, they showed, and they showed a picture of Richards.
3: Did you watch the game? Did, uh, dude, you, I watched
2: a chunk of it. I can't even handle it. Anymore anymore. <laughs> well, <you don't, laughs> I, mean, I came like, back. I, I mean, it's not. I'm still a fan, but we yeah, yeah. new coach. Though. Like I was, you know, I was actually hanging out with my parents, and I'm like, you know what? i i' i'm good i' I'm, <laughs> I see it in the corner you know I see the alerts coming through my phone i'm I'm just happy to like this kind of you know well, they, they i didn't played see the, it yeah. they
3: played the bears this week with the new coach so yeah. well,
2: so, yeah. well yeah.
1: Congr- you know yeah it's, but but that was that was interesting that they 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 finally it's like cuz with the the world in the shape that it's in with the you know the covid and the lockdown there's 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 there's, there's less uh, fodder for for the 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 little features that they do yeah. and so they had to scrape the barrel back to well, 1934 the, exactly yeah well, that's what i mean like, <laughs> it's like oh we don't have well, whatever the teams talk are about.
2: doing terrible they, they you know they do like they, it's a classic you know Dodge where the you know the teams they celebrate their history when they got nothing in the present to celebrate mm. I mean that's a that's a classic you know that's a classic you know I say Dodge but that's a classic sure. thing way to sell your product and of you know, of course yeah they, they got to reach back in the 1930s 30 you know the 34 Thanksgiving yeah but there's so but but that's what I'm saying like you know all of a sudden it's relevant to mention the 1934 Lions, why not go a little further One more and start year. talking about One more year. The, the entire situation? But, but, it, but it, they don't know about it, so they, how can they? Yeah. But you they know?
3: mentioned Portsmouth on the, program, on they the did. broadcast. They did. Yeah. And I down here fell off my chair. I said, yeah. oh, hey, there we go. Everyone okay. says, okay. I, I mean, that's,
2: I'm glad to hear that. But I'm just, but I'm saying, like, whenever all of a sudden it's it becomes relevant to talk about something like this, You know, like you would think that they would take an advantage and say. And by the way, the very next year, like you're saying, Jamie, they won. They won it all. It was the greatest season ever, and it was
1: their first year. Yeah, but
2: the problem is, once again, this story is not in no shape. I mean, there's people that are listening to this now. There's people that we've all talked to. There's people that we've, you know, read the books and things like this. A very small percentage of people that didn't know previously Mm -hmm. are now, you know, now know about it. But as far as a mainstream story, you will not find anyone. You will not find any moder- mainstream, like, big-name Detroit sports presenter anywhere that's going to even – it's going to say, did you know that the 35 – that they won it all in 1935? They don't talk about it. It's not a mainstream subject, and that's what's so insane. Like, there was how an, is it not?
1: There was an article saying um, our, 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 our teams let us down – uh, exactly when we needed them most uh, and it was kind of bagging on on Detroit sports right now What do now. you mean oh right now uh, yeah right now is oh, okay. they talking about our current teams because people need something uplifting people need something to do uh, you can't go to the games but you can watch them and and, and it's they people need that right now and, <laughs> and and they're saying you know they're letting us down when we need them the most and I'm like but there's great stories out there that you guys could be Absolutely. telling and Absolutely. they're just you're ignoring And the
2: thing about these stories is and I've said it I mean this is a I mean I've, this is one of the the main components of what I of what I believe is this is the idea of history. Um, you know, people say life doesn't come with an instruction manual. You know, that yeah, may be does. true, but that's it's called funny, history. Like, yeah. But that's what I'm saying history. It can be a blueprint. Like some, and a lot of people say, well, history. If you don't like study history, you're doomed to repeat it. But there's also a more positive note for that, which is to say, if you learn what people did in the past, how they did it, what they did then you can stand on their shoulders and achieve something you know achieve something greater than they never could have dreamed so you can replicate their their you know what you know the success of the past yeah. and that's what i'm saying like there is so much to be learned sure. with with regards to not only how the team's won it but the psychology of the fans and how the fans ended up playing a major role in this like the fans you know gave this energy like you know they needed something too at this time mm-hmm. And it was the energy the the teams fed. They even I, we've talked about this the article in the book before, um, where the guy, the, a writer from the time actually tries to explore why they had won. Right. And he actually says it's because like these, these when these players went out there, these fans were just craving something to get excited about. <laughs> so when the teams <laughs> yeah. went out there and these fans are just going insane for every single success, then it, it lifted these players up. Like the players could do no wrong, yeah. you know. And we've seen that before. We've seen elements of that throughout the history of Detroit sports. Um, like you know, sixty-eight, eighty-four, like all these different, you know, these different, you know, championships, where the fans are just so engaged, mm-hmm. they know everything about every single player, they know every idiosyncrasy that comes up, and that's one of these things that, um, that you know, that these teams tapped into. The fans of this time were absolutely just intense about every single one of these players, and it lifted them up. And it, well, it, it, it got to remember, it was
3: yeah. a depression in those days too. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they're uh, looking uh, for uh, something, Yeah, and they that was
2: that was their life soul, uh, the sports. Well. But especially when the teams started playing even remotely well, just slightly right. well, then the fans got excited. They got something <laughs> yeah. to go, you know, get excited about, and that in, that enthusiasm in the fans again, they call it like you know the twelfth man. You know, when the fans impact the games, and they actually give credit to that in this that these fans like the, the the players of this time could do no wrong. They could do no wrong, and so I'm saying like these are the kind of components that if you you know the, the, the you know how the psychology of the fans can actually help you know impact these games, and that's what I'm saying like these are these, these are elements. Um, that are not like, I mean, where, like the fact that the, the that the overall story is unknown is one thing, but the loss of the story negates all of the, the, the potential learning experiences that could be drawn from it.
1: Right. And, and that's
2: where, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's 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 foolish to not remember the story. Maybe one of the missing components of the current Detroit sports is to bring back this story and incorporate it into the modern day, um, you know, mindset to celebrate what once was and to bring, you know, like, you know, there's all kinds of, the older I get, man. Like you know, they talk about like um, unseen forces behind the scenes. You know what I mean? You know, potentially cross the boundaries of like magic. You know, there's something, there's things out there that we cannot explain. Maybe you know, like, I mean, what would it mean to have a this this incredible story? to you I mean, to be brought back in yeah. the spirit of this? You know, you know, backing these modern day um, teams and such. So, so you but, can't hurt anyway. Yeah, can't and, hurt. and and Tom, you were the one person listening to this
1: voice. And, and capturing this story um, on the fiftieth anniversary, uh, and otherwise it would have just totally slipped past. It yeah. would have it would have just been a bunch of guys having yeah. dinner at the at the Hilton, uh, and that would have been that. So well, I was
3: very honored. I was brought by Abe Kushner. He gave me he seated me down. He told me to come early to interview the different players. They sat at two different tables. I related that earlier, sure. uh, in the program. And that w- it was an it was an honor. Uh, you know, when I talked to those players, you know, I wasn't even born in 35. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was born in 41, so I was 6 years spot. Yeah. And But my father uh, talked about them, and, and he talked about the city of champions, but he didn't know who they all
2: were. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm trying to say is that a lot of times, you know, the story that it has been passed on to us to this day, you hear somebody like, oh, yeah, usually when I'm at an art show, and I've told a story conservatively estimated, I actually said it in my second book. By the you know, that wrote that second book came out in 2013. Mm -hmm. I estimated that I'd talked to 80,000 people regarding this story. 80,000 that was my that was a conservative estimate at that time, yeah. And and over the course of all those times, anytime the 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 the, the rare like it it was so rare to ever talk to anybody that had ever even heard of this story. I mean, my sign says, Did you know? I mean, it was like it was almost like a it was a trivia question that, that that's what brought people in. They're going. Oh I didn't know that and I hear that all day long I didn't know that it was like I don't even know one out of one out of forty or one out of fifty wow. something like that that would ever even have heard of it and those that did they had only heard it from like their dad or their grandpa there was no books you know sure. like they had yeah. just heard it like oh i, I somebody told me that somewhere it, but it was so what I'm saying like it was always like a um somebody that somebody knew that somebody knew yeah. told each other and that's why that one person had known it but that's something like there's there had been there was no like Factual basis, you know, like a root, of foundation of fact. Um, that that you know, like I'm saying, like that, like yourself, like your dad told you about yeah. it. But where's the like? He didn't even know how many champions were. He, well,
3: was he kept work. talking about it, and I kept asking him well, who were the who were all the champions. He didn't know, and right. he lived
2: during that time, and he you lived. You know what the, I mean? Yep, That's what I'm yep. saying. He it, because he once... knew the
3: he knew the three basics, and he loved Joe Lewis. Sure, but, but after that, and maybe Walter yeah. Hagen, that yeah. might have been it. Mm-hmm. But as I'm
2: saying, after and then so that you know, you take to take that Tom's example right there um, is a you know as an example um, is that after this happens, World War II happens right like shortly. Yep. This is this this story ends in 1936, um, and shortly thereafter, you know, 1939, Hitler invades. You know, Hitler, you know this yep. this is when war in Europe begins, and then 41, of course, is when the U.S. enters. Yep. And so for the there's a World War II. Well, there's far bigger events going on that people were talking about than sports. Mm. And so when, and then when the U.S. comes back from war, of course, there's the golden era of the 1950s with Gordy Howe, Bobby Lane, championships all over the place. Yep. Hell, even the Tigers won a championship in 1945 right when we come back from war. Yeah. Like yep. five weeks after the war is, is over, the Tigers are World Series champions. Right. And the, the auto industry comes back. There's a golden era of Detroit. And so these stories got put in a drawer and filed away. and Like, yeah, we'll come back to another time where there's way more cool stuff going on right now. I and they never came back to it.
3: I think they wanted to forget. You know, they had the depression. That then the, too. Then they Agreed. got. Then they have the war. They went from one mess to another. Yeah. And, and when they all came home, they forgot what the yeah. mess
2: was. And the other thing, too, is that people that would have attended games with their like brothers, fathers, whatever, like this, maybe some of these people didn't come back from war. Mm. Maybe these people that are, you know, are tinged with the, some of these great memories that they had mm. are now like sacred, like. You know, like I don't even want to talk about this because my brother never came home. I never got a chance to, you know, that, like that, you know, ex- this, like, I went to the championship game with him and I don't want to talk about it, you know? Right. It's These it's Great difficult. Depression stories were tinged in sadness. And so that's what I mean. Like there's so many different reasons. And, and that's what I mean, like, you know, but but, it, but it, it may, like, say, now is the time to bring it back. <laughs> yeah. You know, what, the, what, what harm can there be?
3: I talked to one person that went to the 1935 game. I told you that. Oh, the, uh, yeah. remind me. Yeah. Uh, it Refresh was my stockbroker's me. father. He went to the game in 1935. Which it one? Is the, Tigers? Yeah. No, the, uh, uh, out at UAD. Oh, uh, the Lions. The, the Lions. Okay. And his, and his <laughs> I forgot, something. We're talking right. Lions here, man. And, and <laughs> it his, sounds like uh, the game. Like and, the and game. And his favorite the player Lions. was, was uh, Ernie Cadell. Yeah. And he didn't have the money to buy a shirt, so he had an old sweatshirt. And his oh, mother, that's right. You're, okay. yeah, I, yeah. I you told you, she put so, a yeah, number yeah. one on it uh, and yeah. it took to school. Now, in 35, in those days, they didn't have the sports radio. And when on a tape, when I played Ernie Cadell's voice, he cried.
2: Yeah, um, that is so. And,
3: and he wore that shirt all the time because I gave him one, uh, City of Champions, and he was so proud of that. But
2: what's, so, what's so cool is, is that he's actually fashioning his own jersey with Cadell's number one. You know, nowadays, mm-hmm. it's just. You know, it's, it's, you know, people go to the store, they buy a, you know, whatever, Matt Stafford jersey, whatever it is. And, you know, that's just something you, you just do. But well, he's actually making his he, own because back they, before, they d- before that was even in fashion. Oh, in in the yeah. 30s, nobody no,
3: – it wasn't existing. Yeah. So he, his mother made him a shirt and that he went so to school cool. yeah. with Ernie Cadell. <laughs> he's Cadell. And that's all so cool. of those years that he played, he never heard his voice Who, because – and when he heard it, he went – Bonkers. Crazy. But
2: if you think a little bit deeper into that story you're talking about then, Tom, you know what I mean? Like, is the idea that, um, is that – is that – you know, there's the, the, the idea of like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What came first? Did teams start issuing jerseys with the team numbers to sell or did fans just <laughs> – you know, and just start putting their making their own jerseys because yeah. they wanted to be their favorite player, and then yeah. people saw it and were like, "That's a good idea. We're yeah. going to sell them." Yeah. So I think I mean, like I mean, that opens up a whole another concept, well, which is like maybe it's, it's, you know potentially. I mean, like I say, what came first? where fans making their own jerseys? Teams saw and go, "We're going to you know start selling those things." Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like he just made his own. I mean, yep. you know, what I mean, like I can't imagine that at that time that they're selling jerseys like well, that. Well it,
3: well, it was depression. You yeah. Know, it was. <laughs> it was uh, They just didn't have the sports uh, memorabilia that they have today with all of the shirts. Yeah, you know.
2: And one of the big gifts that the Lions got after the championship was that um was that they got parkas, like team parkas, as a reward for their championship. Like you know, I mean, like nowadays you get these like multi million dollar bonuses, (laughs) and these guys are back then. I read an article where they were, I think it was Press now, one of some like one of those guys were talking about um that it was like man we were so happy we got these like you know Detroit Lions parka you know to wear after the game and i was like then you know, like that's you know that's you know, that's, so I can't imagine that they're issuing jerseys for kids at that time. Uh-huh. Well, not know? the 30s. Yeah. No, no. Heck,
3: you he didn't have enough to yeah. put money on the, or the food on the table. Exactly. Yeah. The when a, that's what
2: I'm saying. When a, when a player, when, they, when they're, <laughs> they get a parka for winning a championship. Curious you know? what
1: those parkas look like. Yeah. Was yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. like, you know, I mean, they blue, embroidered like, stitched <laughs> or what? Yeah, I know?
2: have a feeling it was pretty It was pretty, you know, pretty rugged. Like, you know, your basic blue with the Lions. But, how, I mean, my God, dude, if you had a 1935 championship Lions parka, dude, yeah. What hey, do you Charles, want for it? I will give you. A, what, you do you know a who in? did hear about this partner? whole? Do you know who did hear about the city of champions? What do you mean? Actually, Catherine Mitchell popped in. She said, "I heard it from Charles Avis. Oh, that's ah. my sister. Yeah, <laughs> hey, <So>. Catherine. Catherine Roll. <laughs> yeah, how you doing, Catherine? <laughs> it's my sister. I love her. <laughs> I love her to death. Oh. I would hope she had heard about it from you. Yeah, me. she yeah. heard it from me. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people heard of me. I got, like I say, 80,000 80, you know, you know, people uh, I've talked to. But definitely my sister. I told my sister at some point too. She's a monkey. Yeah. I counted her in the eighty thousand. So, <laughs> so,
1: but uh, talking about the, the the parkas and in your conversation with uh, the players that were there that evening, uh, you were able to touch on on, on several topics, and one was uh, about the equipment. And but let's get back to the tape. Let's go, let's
2: go to the tape. Yeah. Uh,
1: I think Elmer, What uh, you the next piece you wanted to look yeah, at? Yeah.
2: Well, it was it's actually, I mean, this is two weeks ago, and I wanted to listen to this clip so much. Yeah. That I remember it to two weeks after we played the last clips because it was like the next clip in the in this yeah. chain. And it's just, I, I just, from Elmer, it, yeah, from Elmer because it refreshed our memory what we we're talking about. Um, because the, the actually a previous couple of, um, discussions on there talked about the equipment but i like what uh, elmer fair ward had said so and i think we got a picture do we got put a, up for anybody that's watching the, the, uh, the, 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 the show? Pictures.
1: do we have uh, what do we got to elmer, should i just
2: i think i sent you a picture of elmer uh, you know bear ward to put up there if you, okay. if you have it available it's not i don't think it's uh essential but it was one of the last pictures that i gave you all
0: right okay i'm happy to be back this way and uh, don't go away we're going go around again i want to ask you some more questions elmer well, I, I think the uh, difference between uh, now and when we played in 35 is we uh, both bo- went both ways, both defense and offense, and as a center, and we used a single wing, it meant from the center position that you had to uh, put the lead passes or line buck. Uh, the pass from center was a great deal different than it is today. In those days when we played, we never had any face masks. Uh, we used the leather helmet, and uh, I think it was a quite, a bit, uh, quite a bit different. I uh, remember you know, one thing that Patsy always said. If no one was ahead of us the third quarter, we was not going to beat us in the fourth because condition, condition, condition is what he meant. And we used to run the sprints, and we were all in real good shape. And I think primarily uh, that is a difference. We only had 25 men on our team, and many times we had four or five injuries, but that meant that we had to play with 17 or 18 players. I think that's a big difference from today. We run just as hard, I think, and uh, tackle just as hard, and the rules
1: haven't changed a great deal. So yeah, that was interesting because we, we we pointed out that uh, in the 1934 game uh, championship game, um, there were some rules that came into play that that 32 or the 32, the 30, uh, oh, the the 32, 32 Stadium, game.
2: That's what led to a bunch of new rule changes. Yeah, there was a lot
1: of rules that came yeah. in and came into play that indoor game. Yeah, that was that was interesting, but so. But from then, from 32 and 35 to, to 50 years later, uh, a lot of the rules had stayed very similar.
2: Well, those were the game. I mean, if we're going back to the 32 game, you know, with some of the biggest rules, I mean, that, I mean, that almost defined modern football to this mm-hmm. day. You know, we're talking about the 32 game. Um, you know there was the there was the you know just to, right off the top you know right right off the bat you're talking about when the, the 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 main champ the main touchdown that got scored in the game was Bronco Nagurski crashing the line and jumping up throwing a pop pass to Red Grange for for the for the touchdown right. and and back at that at that point you had to throw up all passes had to be thrown from five yards behind the line of scrimmage and Bronco it was totally blew yeah. that rule yeah. and and so and after that the NFL goes. Well, from now on, as long as you're behind the line of scrimmage, that's all that matters. And right. So that's, I mean, that was a major thing. Yeah. Now, as anybody were behind, as long that, as you're behind the line, you can. Throw that pass. turned the game. Yeah, and then yep. the other thing too, which is also to be not is not to be, um, dis is diminished is the hash marks, mm-hmm. the hash marks on a field. You know, nowadays when a game start, or when a, when a play concludes, the ball is moved to the nearest hash mark or the center of the field. You know where, no matter where, if a guy gets Center tackled right, out of field. bounds, it gets you know to the right hash mark of the field. Yeah. Back in the th- before that 1932 championship game, if a guy got tackled out of bounds, the ball started like one yard from the out of bounds, <laughs> and so they'd have to run a play just to get to the middle of the field. Right, just right. To, they would burn a play, and so during that game, because there was the walls of the stadium, they couldn't they couldn't start the you know the, with the play yep. that close to the sideline, and so they actually created the hash mark. Just for for that indoor game, and it continued, and so and that's and they they liked it so much because the teams didn't have to burn a play that they're they, that's I'm saying that's that small change is a major is a big deal.
3: Well, the only change they made now is they moved the goalpost. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, uh, in the fifties, I saw a game when Crazy Legs Hirsch was running the post pattern. Yeah. the post got him.
2: Oh, geez. He that's ran what I'm saying. It, Every time you're watching ran, those old he footage, he ran into yeah. that post. I'll
3: never forget <laughs> <that>. <laughs> he, he never knew what hit him.
1: Talk yeah. about uh, ringing your bell, huh?
2: He yeah. said I was at the post, but there was no ball. Yeah, but what Elmer? But the interesting, like you know, Elmer's saying though is that, um, is that one of the things I love what he says is that we ran just as hard, we tackled just as hard, we played just as hard. And so a lot of times people look at you know they they look at the you know players from back in the you know in the day and they say, well you know there it's a different caliber of athletes and all this nowadays. I and mean, you're like, are you are you sure? Because um you know I mean this is a guy that's seen seen it both and he's and he just you know he was like yeah we tackled just as hard as them you know yeah. So um, that's anyway. So I like that that little clip from Bear War because he really goes through like the equipment is different, like. But you know he talks about like the game is you know we we hit just as hard as they did you know. Same field, yeah. I mean it's the same football field. There was a there was an article
1: um, around Thanksgiving that that came out that caught my eye about the uh, the some of the greatest players uh, in football. And it was uh, it was the greatest players. I'm trying to find uh, probably, duh, 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 duh. toughest NFL players. This is coming out of tiebreakers. Uh, tough guys, the the toughest players in, in NFL history. Um, and because uh, I, I, I'm not a big sports guy, I've told you guys that before. I like yeah, history. Yeah, but that's what we love you yeah. though. Tom,
2: I love Detroit. We're like, you know, you're, you're soaking it up like a sponge. Some some <laughs> of these names the
1: I recognize most of these most of these names. Uh but, but there, for was, your first there was only
2: sports the one educa- for your first sports education to be the City of Champions yeah, story, yeah. Tom, how much would you love that to be your foundational element for your sports education? Right, the City of Champions story is the foundational element. You cover all the ahead, sports. There's, yeah, there's, you start with the City of Champions story and learn everything else. They, that's they how it be. Every sport played was covered. <laughs> that and is those, it. Uh, yeah, but I'm just saying, like your 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 first story you ever know is the City of Champions story, and then you build from there. Yeah, that's like that's the greatest sport. Like you know, that's I, I so I, I'm almost envious of you. So baby, I, I yeah. wish I had learned sports history. But, but out of,
1: out of these top 30 players, number coming in at number 5, uh, Bronco Nagurski. Um, oh, yeah. Is, he, uh,
3: 34, when I interviewed those lines, they said he was oh, like Broncos, tackling a redwood tree yeah. with a bulldozer
2: behind it. Yeah. They,
3: they said he was just... They feared him
2: Yeah, well, when it, he had the ball. When you see, like, we, we've actually shown a couple videos of Bronco Nagurski, and you can see in these videos, um, you know, I check back in the old episodes we had or, or check, you know, just look up these Bronco Nagurski videos. Mm-hmm. Actually, the biggest one is look up the 1934 championship game with the New York Giants. Yeah, It really shows Bronco Nagurski in action. And this guy built like a redwood tree. I mean, this guy was literally on, on I mean, he was just, he was, twice the size of any other guy. Yeah. I always I always call him the Shaquille O'Neal of the 1930s football because you know Shaq in his heyday was just so big, you could not stop him. If Shaq yeah. was going to dunk the ball, he was going to dunk in your face. Like if you yeah. if you if you, you tried to block Shaq's shot, he would break yeah. your arm when he dunked it. I mean, he was that I mean, he broke the rim. Shaq was unstoppable in his heyday, and that's how Bronco was. Like there's some of these players that uh-huh. just are so unstoppable that you have. I mean, that you just. I mean, you just have to tip your cap to him. Yeah. <laughs> stuff well, you can do. Well, and that's what they had to stop. The well, Lions had to stop. Bronco Chris, to win a championship.
3: I asked him who was the toughest player they played against, and it was always Bronco Nagurski. And Christian yeah. said every time he got the ball, you know, I, is it yeah. going to be my elbow? Is it good? You know, yeah. To get well, him they down, even, you
2: know? the articles that I've read about it, they said that you never. You net like if you were ever, whenever you played the Bears, if you were ever going to try to tackle Bronco Nagurski, you always had to have, you always had to use two guys. At least two. you never wanted to try to. If to you try to, him. if you try to tackle Bronco by yourself, you're breaking a collarbone. You're breaking. Some, he's breaking something on you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's so that's what I'm saying. Like you know, and that's what you know. Anybody that followed like the NBA, you know, when Bronco or I mean uh, Shaq was so unstoppable in his heyday, with you know, with the, especially with the Lakers and all this. Recognize like when the Pistons ended up beating um, Shaq in the 2004 championship, it was like, I mean, there it was like it, it the Pistons mm-hmm. like built their team around the yep. eventuality that they would have to face Shaq in the 2004 uh, finals and figure out some way to just slow him down. You know, what I mean, like that team, like you know, there was a one moment in the during the 2004 season where, um, it, where, uh, where they actually, you know, uh, Ben Wallace. Blocks Shaq's yeah. shot, and yeah. that was like at that moment. Anybody that was really following the Pistons were like, they can beat the Lakers. They can they can slow him down. They have yep. a chance, and that's what. And that's what and I like to equate that with the you know the Lions at this time because. Because you know thirty, you know there's year after year after year. It was always the Bears, finally you know stopping them in their tracks. The Bears, the Bears, the Bears were always yep. stopping. Them. They beat them in the first Thanksgiving game. Yep. They beat them all the way back to 1932 when they were at the mm-hmm. Portsmouth Spartans. That's right, and then all of a sudden, and then 35, they finally beat the Bears. They beat them on Thanksgiving. They tied them the, the game before Thanksgiving, and then they beat them on Thanksgiving. So they are finally able to overcome Bronco Nagurski. And that's what I mean. Like that that story. Um, you know, like the like the sort of the um the sit like the sort of symmetry with that. I like to equate it with the two thousand four Pistons, where they mm-hmm. were able to you know, finally, you know, figure out a way to you know to at least neutralize Shaq long enough for them to use their own weapons right. to win, because that's how it was. Yeah, is that they were able to. F- finally figured out a way to you know to just and one of the reasons they when they got Chuck Bernard for the 1934 championship or I mean our 1934 season like they brought they got Chuck Bernard in Michigan was that in is that uh Chuck Bernard had shown that he was able to stop Bronco by himself in the because the, the 34 you don't uh, have to
1: send 3 guys after well, exactly in the, <laughs> in the 34 in the
2: 34 in the because what what used to the way it used to occur was in the in after a team won a championship um the NFL championship they would play the college all-stars Okay, so the 1934 college, uh, so the 1934 championship Bears played the 1934 college all stars at Chicago at Chicago Stadium, like yep. in Chicago Stadium. So, anyways, um, and, and um, Chuck Bernard was on. It was in that game. Oh. And Chuck Bernard was like the one of the greatest college players of all time. Chuck Bernard, look, Chuck Chuck Bernard, my God, man. Anybody's listening to this podcast, like. Stop listening to us right now and go look at no no don't do that after the show after, listen, after, after, after. after the show look up Chuck Bernard right I got a whole section on but look him up and it's like he's one of the most decorated collegiate athletes of all time um but one of the things they don't really talk about in the online stuff is that is that uh, Chuck Bernard in this uh, college all star game against the Bears can see, like. Took down Bronco Nagurski by himself, Mm. and so the Lions are looking at this. I mean, he's already a decorated player, but the Lions made every effort to bring in Chuck Bernard. Was like, if they, if he can bring down, you know, Bronco by himself, this is a stud we need. Then you're saying there's a chance, exactly. And so, but also, but also to recognize too, I want to make sure I put this out there too is that um, Claire Randolph on the 1934 Lions and who had also gone back with the Spartans, Claire Randolph was also known for his ability to stop Bronco Nagurski by himself. All right, so so he it wasn't like there was nobody that could. There yeah, was a couple no. guys, um, and I'm pretty certain that uh, um, that Father Lumpkin. I don't didn't see it written down anywhere at this, but Father Lumpkin was Father Lumpkin and Ace Katalski were 2 tough as nails yeah. Yeah, men absolutely. too. That I have no doubt that they could <laughs> take him down too. So, but well, we also had a guy against them stopping him. Either. We also
1: had a guy named Little Chris. Yeah. So – and that's yeah. the next person you were able to talk yeah. to. Yeah. Why was he called – who was Little Chris? Why was he called well, Little
3: Chris? Well, there was Big Christensen and there was Little Chris. I was going to wave so. like, call me, yeah. call me. Don't even yeah.
2: answer the question, but Tom's yeah. got it. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that, that's
3: what they called him, Little Chris.
2: So let's yeah, Big Chris Big Chris is, Big Chris is George it? Christensen who they yeah. nicknamed Tarzan. Okay. So his other nickname wait, 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 besides Big Chris w- is also Tarzan, right. which also yeah. ties you into why well, they called him Big Chris. Let's see what Christensen says. Yeah. All right, yeah, let's go. And Little get Chris him. by the way is one is the team's best punter. Like this okay. guy was yeah. one of the incredible He was a blocking back punter. Yeah. He wasn't just some little miniature yeah, he guy, was he was, nice was a great man, player. Too. Yeah, he was a blocking back I and a punter. I talked to him
3: many times, he by phone and by letter.
2: Yeah, he was the best punter, better than even better than um than. uh um, than anybody. He was their best yeah. guy. So,
1: yeah. All right, here's little
2: Chris. That's little Chris.
1: Matt, do we got audio on this? Yeah. Matt's back. You screw
2: around. Like, no, it's, a, it's there. I was ready for it. Right. I thought you were right. big. No, just, no, maybe it was me. Maybe. I got to give you a little bit of harassment. I don't matter. <laughs> I gave Matt, you some shit you. when you got here. Exactly. So it was you me. Would, it was
1: you
3: me. didn't me. think <laughs> I love you but I didn't give you
1: a little
2: bit of grief for once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. FCC?
4: I suppose if I were going to talk about the differences in the game today, I would say that in in the days we played, uh, uh, money was not a very important thing. We we played because we wanted to play. We played for the fun of the game. Uh, It was important to to get a paycheck, but by no means in the magnitude that they are today. I well remember uh, Jack Johnson, a teammate from Utah, with me, uh, uh, we had negotiated our original contract, and I don't know for what reason I was a back and I had $135 a game and Jack had 125 We went in to renegotiate our next year's contract with owner G.A. Richards. We sat down at his desk in his lush office in the Fisher Building, and he said, Christensen, do you think you're worth more to this team than Jack Johnson? I said, no, sir. He said, "By God, neither do I." Jack gets a ten-dollar raise, and you stay the same. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think our, uh, our, our teams at that time were so molded together because we were less. We didn't have fifty players, you know. We we were uh, I don't know twenty-two or twenty-three is all, and uh, we were very close together. I think this bunch here at this meeting realizes. So well the the relationship that existed 50 years ago. I thank everybody for everything that's gone on here. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Wow. Let's see. Mahomes got uh, 490 million dollars, and this same player he got a 10 dollars raise.
2: Yeah, but here's the thing. I do want there's same two... football.
3: Same True, field. but there's
2: but there's two things I want to point out about this. All right, is that a lot of times that the players nowadays that get all this money. A lot of times, people will castigate them and say all they care about is the money. But I'm, te- but I have a, I have this feeling that um, like you, like these players that play this game, like college football and all this different stuff. There's a lot of players that don't play this game for the money. So I don't necessarily think that that is like distinguishable just from the 1930s. Like, oh, the 1930s because they got paid less that 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 they played for. They didn't play for the money. Whereas nowadays, everybody does play for the money because they get because they get paid so much. I think that these guys like. You know, at some point, like money doesn't even really, I mean, it ceases to really, I mean, once you have so much of it, does it really even matter anymore? And they still keep playing. Like a guy like Tom Brady or whatever, like, still keeps on playing. His guys, I mean, if, he, if he, all he cares is money, like, you get your money. I mean, how many hundred million dollar contracts do you need before you're like, I got enough money to last me forever? You know, don't be like, no, I want one more season because I want the money. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. no, the guy, lo- the guy's like, I'm gonna play some like four. you can see he clearly understands. So <laughs> you know, my arm he falls off. Joy's playing the game. It's so pretty darn I, close. Yeah, well, yeah, but I'm saying like, <laughs> you can see that You know, these guys like, you know, money. They get just because they get paid more money today. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that. I mean, it's just I actually it was a guy I talked to today that said that um that said that like people that you know like you know that people that develop successful businesses. Just a random conversation I had with a guy in the in the store today. He was saying like you know people that develop successful businesses they a lot of time in most cases it's because they really enjoy what they do you know it's not just because they're in it for the money it's because it, you know the hard times of a business you know you're sticking it out because you believe in what you're doing, you're passionate about your thing and so that's to I me mean, the same thing with I think a lot of times with sports I think that modern day athletes a lot of times get um get kind of get too many thrones stones thrown at them mm-hmm. because they're like Oh, because they get paid so much. Like, all oh, they care about is the money. It takes a hell of a lot to make to to not only just to get to the profession, to, to pro sports, you know, the major leagues and baseball, football, whatever. Um, but it takes a hell of a lot to stay there too, and to stay at the top of your profession. So, I've always been somebody that's like, you know, I, it's like I I don't I don't I understand that they get more money, but I don't. But it takes a you have to be you have to really love what you do to stick it out. And you know, to the point you know to where these guys make money. So. I never, I, I never begrudge these guys for how much money they get paid. You know, it's um. They, so they, I don't think he is necessarily either. But they, I mean, they earn their money. I mean, sure. Exactly. It's uh, it's they earn their money in the '30s and they earn their money now. I think I really do. I think that they. I mean, they're they're massive contracts, but they're also put up on these huge pedestals where everybody is like, I mean, like you can't even they can't even you know you know, do anything. They can't. Nah, step you can't even it. a little dog fight. Well, I mean, come on. What's the problem? Hey, come on. Yeah, what they, are we going to do here? They can't do anything. They stay, they, you know, they, stay, they step on some dogs. Some of those are monsters. Yeah. Like yeah, they, step, they do something, they do anything bad in like yeah. everybody in the world hears about the very next second, you know? So like, you yeah, know, they're, well, dog places all that stuff. Well, no, that no, I'm not. Oh, yeah. No, that, no, that is, I'm talking <laughs> just, about, uh, but no, that's a different example. Yeah, but I'm yeah. I yeah, like, yeah. in a church. But I, no, but I'm saying like anything that they do, anything, yeah. even real, like anything, like there's, they have no privacy oh, yeah, in their yeah, lives. Yeah. Everything is for the full public. So they're kind of birds in a <laughs> you golden can't punch cage. Punch your girlfriend in an elevator. <laughs> you're you're, you're you taking it completely <laughs> off. The, the I'm talking about somebody, somebody walking out back and stepping in a dog turd. Yeah, yeah. And everybody, you know, like you're throwing the. Yeah. The other,
1: things, I mean, like, other really horrific ones that got uh, blown up on TV. Yeah, yeah,
2: but I'm saying like anything. They're like, oh, did you hear what this guy's this stupid thing? Like you know, yeah. anything they do oh, is. Yeah. Immediately or they, they're
1: under a microscope. Them. It's like, oh, exactly. who's he? Who's That's he dating? You know, oh, his wife is dressing exactly. in. Exactly. They're celebrityism. You know, They're part of the celebrity a yeah. culture.
3: You know.
1: Exactly. Oh, his supermodel wife is dressing in. I've interviewed
3: in. a lot of football players, Doug Igles, Joe Schmidt, all of these guys from the 30s. And every one of them will tell you that the decide when they step on that football field, they don't know if it could be a wrist, an ankle, a mm. neck. Sure. It's, 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 they claim, and everyone said the same thing. It's like rolling the dice. Yeah. But so this brings oh, up sort of the, the second, dice. this
2: mm-hmm. kind of brings up the second. There's, a, you know, like I said, there's two things about the, what I, he said that I love. And the second thing is, I think, is is fascinating. It was, you know, just a, a really brief uh, sort of blip about what he said. And so he said, I have not read my notes here. Less players meant a closer team bond. Because, you know, he said, even, you know, I have sort of quoted right here where he says, um, you know there's twenty-five players on a team and then at any given time there'd be four or five injuries so we'd be like he said so we generally we'd have like seventeen guys like playing right just, just think whereas of a that. modern day NFL roster like I don't have the exact f- number f- I, mean, I think I think it's fifty is it fifty five yeah so you know fifty five guys yeah. so imagine so just just picture the difference in your minds right so you got one team, the modern day team, you got 55 players,
3: mm-hmm. right?
2: And then you've got, you know, that are there, and there's always injuries. So there's more and more guys always coming in at least five or, you know, maybe five guys are new every single week. And then you've got how many trainers, how many coaches, you know, d- defensive back, you know, left defensive back coach, <laughs> right mm-hmm. side defensive back, you're know, like defensive coordinator, defensive assistant coordinator. All I mean, like how many got, how many expand like every one of these NFL <laughs> teams or what is there like a hundred guys in these teams? And so like, you know, one guy that comes into this team, like, how does he, would make, he may never even meet. He may never even have a conversation with a guy on the, you know, on the other side of the team. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're so massive. Like, imagine, I mean, really, you could say like 50 player, 55 players of team plus five or six for injuries, you know, cycling in plus like, let's say what, I don't know, 15, 20 coaches. So like a minimum, you got 60, 70 people in a, in an organization that travels around and stuff. I mean, 60s, that, that seems like a lot of people to like really get to know especially in where like it be you know where there's trades and and all these things that happen you know in a season and I and that's what I loved about what he said where which is less players less players meant a, a closer team bond when you got 25 guys and 17 are playing on a you know at any given time you really get to know the person that you're playing with you know you really get to know and especially when we and we me and Jamie even before you joined you know we're around here Tom we, we spent a great deal of time talking about the um about the uh uh um about how these players like yeah. really gelled with Potsey Clark. You know, this um so uh it's so anyways and that's what I'm saying like when you have a, a lower number a smaller number of guys and they're playing year after year after year with this goal of winning this championship and like they lose a couple guys and they're replaced with a couple more guys that they think are going to help them get there. You know, you have like a core group of guys and I think that like that is what is that's one of that to me is my favorite thing about sports is where you have this like core group of guys and they're in this like they're trading out pieces to you know to figure out how this core group you know with their new supporting cast is going to make this happen that's like my favorite sports story and that's what this team was. All right. Absolutely. And, yeah. And they Dutch, when, Clark, well, Dutch Clark, all these guys. Yeah. He,
3: he how many times did he play defense when they were short? He yeah. yeah. was one of their, one their top
2: starters. Yeah.
3: He, one of the players went down and he was going to go in. Yeah.
2: And, Dutch and, Clark in thirty four, when they, they said Dutch Clark at the end of nineteen thirty four on offense and defense in the last few games yeah. of the year, like that he should like he should have been in a hospital bed. Like <laughs> yeah. he was so mangled from yeah. all the time he played. It like, but he was still running out. Then Potsy had to run him out there against the Packers. You know what I mean? Like, they're I mean, he's getting. He's there. Were that's why in the thirty-five, he had this. You know, he had this uh, freshman versus varsity. Um, you know, preseason game to try to find identify new talent because he because that his his starters his core group were so mangled going at the end of nineteen thirty-four. That's why they faded. Think about it. They had seven. They went. They had seven games in a row where they were unscored upon. Ten straight wins. Ten straight wins, and then they folded at the end of the year. They lost like the I think they lost their last well, three they, games. They were whipped. Exactly, Man. they were torn up. That's why yep. thirty five. Potsy had to find had to find enough new blood to augment his supporting cast, yep. and they got to a slow start because he he had to use these new guys to get him to the end of the year, where the where the where his core group. We could finally unleash him, and that's what he did. And they took him all the way to the, you know, to the championship. And, that's and so they're brilliant. doing it
1: all for 135 bucks a game. <laughs> really, that's <it>. so. And it's <laughs> I I mean, a quick a teaching I, job or something. I got a you know, simple, like... I got a simple uh, uh, calculator, uh, and it says like you know the 135 bucks in 1935 today <laughs> oh, is man. about you know twenty five, twenty six hundred bucks. Uh, yeah, nothing. you know, if it's a thirteen game season, that's like a thirty thousand dollar salary. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. You know? So most of them had like a yeah. teaching job or car yeah. sales. Well, well, we talked about before. Insurance. Pressnell or...
2: even talked about like when he signed a contract. One of the benefits of signing with whatever particular team was that they would set the him up with job. a job in an off season yeah. after well, the it, season was it, over.
3: Eight Kushner went to work for General Motors, and he ended up with a dealership at yeah. Palo Alto, California. Huh?
2: Yeah, a lot of the Red Wings yep. guys, same thing. A lot of the yep. Red Wings guys, same thing. Was uh, you know Jim Norris has set these guys up yep. with all these off season great jobs. Like yep. he was. Um, Like, Normie Smith was, I it was a limo driver. He was, like, a, the driver for, I forgot which, I talked to, I've met, I met. can't wait till we get to the Red Wing section, because I met, you know, yeah. we have I, have, I know Norma Smith. Norma Smith, the daughter, <laughs> Normie Smith is the goalie. His daughter is Norma Smith, huh? and I'm friends with her. Like, that's where I got a ton of my information, was Normie Smith had the greatest a newspaper collect. news Normie Smith, the goalie of the Red Wings, right. kept every single newspaper ah. for his entire career. Every single newspaper clipping about the Red Wings. Wow, his entire career. She has like this encyclopedia. She let me. I came where I met her, and she's got this. She's like, yeah, come on over. So, like I say, like, but I mean, she was telling me that her father was like, you know, in the offseason, his job was he was like, I, for- I forgot which. I and I, for- I, I gotta look in the uh, book to remind me, but. Um, but you know, he he had a driver as he was a driver for you know some big executive for one of the auto companies. Wow. That's how he was able, to, you know, coming out to Detroit. So that's why these these guys, you yeah. know, all these different athletes, they get you know jobs and in, in a lot of cases. Better jobs than they would if they were just part of the, right. you know, part of the random group of people looking for a random job. They get executive jobs, car dealership jobs, you know, good spots. Well, the
3: oldest player in the in the National Football League is Cy Souters, who played with the Lions, and I went to school with his daughter, and he told me that he played two years with the Lions. And then in the summer and the off season, he would sell cars, yep. and he thought that selling the cars was a lot better than being slammed on that football mm-hmm. field. Sure, and, and he ended up selling cars. Probably,
2: yeah. That's probably why he's a hundred
3: years old today.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, time, but you see what I'm saying? But then, you know, at the same time, is like when you're when you're playing a game like George Richards, who owns the Lions, right? He's one sure. of a syndicate of twenty different owners, sure. and these are the biggest movers and shakers in Detroit. Right. And you're playing in the team, and they're promising you if you come to Detroit and play with this team, yeah. that you're going to be able to get. we going to get you a job in the offseason like oh really what job am i going to get and they're like the ownership of this team is 20 of the biggest movers and shakers in this city right. all right. right so these are going to be the people that are going to get or we're going to find a job for you amongst one of their 20 companies right so do you want to take your chances with coming and playing for the lions in detroit or do you want to just line up with the other you know 50 people at the uh, you know unemployment office yeah. that are that are just looking for a job you know picking apples or something you <laughs> yeah. know like that's what I mean. That the, the attraction of something like that was huge for these people at that time, which are they're looking for you know, income. Man, they're mm-hmm. looking. This is a different time.
3: I the championship game in thirty-five. Each player, the winner, uh, the Giants were the loser, but the winner, the Lions, got nine hundred and twenty-six dollars each, and that parka, and that and parka,
2: and a trip to Hawaii because they played a series of exhibition games. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Part, oh, yeah. But they but... no, I got a picture in the book that shows them. Well, on They were the...
3: just overpaid, weren't they? Uh... Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> spoiled. But, yeah. Yeah, but
2: it, to people back in the 30s though, that saw them getting all these, you know, bonuses and stuff, yeah. they're like those rich athletes. <laughs> so they don't have any idea what we are us common folk <laughs> have to go through. So to say, like you know, every generation they always look back and go. You know, like they're like, you know, they're always looking back going, oh, they didn't get paid anything. But at the time, you know, same thing. Like, you know, we look better at our athletes. were going, oh, they're overpaid and all this. What do you think? They, they said the same thing back in the 30s about mm-hmm. their guys going, there's the Lions go to Hawaii. They got new
3: parkas, you know. They, got- <laughs> they said their summer was a lot better than 34 summer.
2: Yeah. They're, that's what I'm saying. Like They're they're probably saying the same thing. The fans are back then going, those rich athletes have no idea how us common folk have to live. Like, you see, they get the money. They got the trip to Hawaii. And they got the parkas. You know, it's yeah. like totally rich. Those rich jerks. You know? So um,
1: Kilwicky was talking about um, playing both sides of the ball because you were just talking about these guys just being Iron Man and and for that pay they were versatile. They had they had to play both sides because yep. sometimes they were down down players. Uh, anything about Kilwicky that to lead this? In well, yeah, is, we, we talked this about was
2: the last this uh, last week was the um, the, the, the I mean, two weeks ago yeah, for yeah. our last you know for our last episode. Uh, we talked about, um, we talked to Ed Klawicki. He's the guy from Michigan State. Yeah, yeah. He was the MSU, first Michigan State, you know, Spartan to play for the Lions. The, of course, the first U of M player to play for the Lions was Chuck Bernard. Right. First MSU was Ed, is Ed Klawicki. And we talked about him. You want know, anybody wants to hear details on Ed Klawicki? Go back to their last episode. You know, uh, like, we're not trying to, you know, if, we gotta direct him back to our old shows. You know, we're not gonna go through Ed Klowicki again. All like, right. we love him to death. But,
1: but here's uh, here's but here Ed is. talking about playing yeah. uh, playing both sides.
2: Okay, fine. And now, Ed, your your reflections.
5: Yeah, my reflections on the biggest difference is naturally the money. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, I heard a lot of remarks about uh, the difference in the size. Well, that was the difference in the game. Uh, going two ways and I would just like to see some of these people that are playing today uh, go, uh, run three passes and then punt and run down under a punt and then get up and get ready for that sweep if they're running in their direction <laughs> and see how much condition they have and how much they, they regard the size as the governing factor about how good you can do on the field. Also, I always thought, and nobody I don't think that teaches blocking the ever or, or tackling will disagree with the fact that if you're underneath, you're in a hell of a lot better position than you are above <laughs> on a football field.
3: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: he, uh at the interview he said that he would watch the games the current games today and he would watch the defense and the uh, commentators would say oh the defense has been on there for 5 minutes <laughs> and they're oh they're yeah. exhausted and they're going over to the sideline he said what a joke yeah. <laughs> what a, what, exactly, he said i just exactly. every time i heard that he said i just well, i it was what a joke
2: this this right here this is one of my favorite um this is one of my favorite uh, things that in the entire interview that you had. And, and the, a we're going to wrap it up with this one. Sure. But today. This is one of my favorite components. I actually wish we had more time. Maybe we yeah. should start off next episode with it because because this is one of my favorite comment, my favorite quotes of the entire thing. And the reason is is because modern day fans, whenever we think, whenever we look at the 1930s, a lot of times players look at them and they say that, you know the fans look at they are like look at how primitive they were. They wore the leather helmets. They wore they were they look kind of smaller. You know, like I could probably wreck that guy if I was back then. Right. You know, there, there, there's yeah. just like such a like there's such a modern day arrogance versus when you look at the players of the past. They're like, oh, man, those are back in the weaker, smaller, whatever days, or whatever like this. And this is this, and this the reason why and that's why I love this quote right here, because what he says is he's saying everybody talks about what how we would do if we played against modern day athletes. But how would they do if they played our game? Right. Where we they played both ways every single down. You, if you were a quarterback, you had to be able to kick field goals. You had to be able to punt. You had to be able to pass, run the ball. You had to be able to do everything. Play defense, be safety, be everything, and you had to play every single down for an entire game. 60, All right. That's Sixty insane. minutes. Sixty minutes every single game. Pa- you know, Patsy Clark, like the, we were. So you had the one quote where. Uh, you know, Red Stacey's going. You know, they played me fifty-seven minutes, fifty-eight minutes, in the, you know, in my first two games. And I wanted to win that. Potsy said I'd get a hat if I played for sixty minutes. So I played. You know, I begged Jack Johnson <laughs> to leave me in there for the last two minutes of the third game. Never you got know, his hat. Yeah, sixty. So that's what I'm saying. So, so this right here, he's saying like, you know, everybody says like, you know, in the modern day, like we might not be able to face off against a three hundred and thirty-pound defensive tackle. But if you took that same 330 pound defensive tackle and brought him back to the 1930s, how would he do there? Yeah. He'd lose the conditioning, <laughs> conditioning, and be able to play, and he'd be function. sucking wind after five plays. Exactly, the first right. like the very first couple of plays off the game. Sure, that guy would be wrecking wrecking ball, but after that, when he's got to go 60 <laughs> minutes, you know what I mean? Like you hit it right there, yeah, Tom, yeah. where he says like after five minutes, are going, oh man, they've been on the field for a long time. Yep. 60 minutes. Yeah. At, that's what. That's it. Was a totally different. Like it was a totally yeah. different game back then. And that's where and that's where I love where he says, you know, like when you have to do all of these things for an entire sixty minutes games, he's like he's like then is when you're gonna find out is how b How much size is a governing factor of the the ability and you mm-hmm. know talent of a player? And that's why I, I love that quote. If anybody takes anything from this, this you know interview, I think that is one of the two signature moments of this of this clip yeah. of this interview.
1: It's an honor to do it. I'm yeah. telling you,
2: I was very fortunate. So it's uh, you
1: enjoyed sitting down with them guys. Oh, You can well, tell in the uh, background they uh, were uh, all
3: uh, there. Well, ball. they were all, you know, it was at the reunion, it was roughly three o'clock in the morning, and uh, they were having some fun. And people, the music was still going, and uh, yeah. they were just flat out having fun,
2: yeah. And that it goes was, back to the previous uh, you know, moment where they're saying like how the team was uh, you know closer together because there was less players, right? And we've talked, and this has been a common theme whenever we talked about is is how these guys like, you know, they knew each other. They cared about each other. Yeah. Fifty years later they're still want to have a championship celebration together. And at the championship their celebration, they're having f they're having a party, man. They're drinking and laughing and remember old times. What? Because they got because the teams were smaller. Yeah. They you know like that's what I'm saying like that is one of the the modern day things that I think one of the things that's lost from some of the modern day games is um you know the transience of the players in you know in in Every once in a while you see how you have a core group of guys that's built. That's not completely lost, but I think that needs to be emphasized more, is the core group of guys who comes up together, and that's the team who wins together. Well, Well, basically they had to know
3: all their own plays, you know, because with 20-some players, if you're down to 17, all of a sudden I'm an in, and i I got to play left tackle, or i got to play right guard. You know, it makes a big difference.
1: So this core group of guys is going to be back again next week to talk more about this because we have a couple more clips to listen to. Sure. Uh, Tom, we want more stories from, from you. <laughs> and and uh, my favorite part of this is watching Tom listen to these interviews and kind of relive. Hey, that's Tom uh, on the I, tape. It, he lights up every time we play yeah. one of these. It's awesome. So we, we, we thank everybody for joining us. Like, subscribe, leave a comment. We really appreciate that. Yeah, if you comment on uh, the show, you're going to mention too, had, a, yeah. had an interesting comment, uh, and we're going to get to it. I just kind of tease you with it. Uh, we were talking about Glenn Presnell, <laughs> Uh, Mike Presnell left a comment on one of our YouTube videos Great, so yeah. thanks to Mike for, for listening and uh, we'll get to that comment next yeah. time a first cousin was removed Actually, yeah, um,
2: we're gonna yeah, we're gonna dive deeper so to that. We'll
1: we'll we'll talk about Mike Presnell uh, and Yeah, his this comment. is show. That's what it I love is, about this
2: show too, is that like we're talking about like you know, we're this is like a sports talk radio show. We're talking about like Detroit sports history. You know he, what I mean? Like all these other sports talkers are like, you know, modern day Lions, like you know, these other guys got these guys got fired, whatever. We're back in the day <laughs> talking about sports, yep. you know, like we're like, man, can you believe Presnell? Like, oh you know, like these guys like we're talking about stuff that happened it's almost like this is the show that should have been like when the 30s were happening like show yeah absolutely
3: because you know in the 30s they just didn't have sports yeah. talk you that's know what I mean yeah if, if in the 30s if it existed probably Detroit yeah. would be the sports center of all time uh, yeah because everybody was named the sport tennis bowling that's what I'm saying like it. you know we're Voter gonna be, bowling, football, absolutely. You know, it's fencing yeah it's it just goes you speak my language on, Tom on, we're gonna be speaking and all and on,
2: these like <laughs> yeah
1: and more of it to come it's uh, Detroit City of Champions, DetroitCityofChampions dot com, and uh, we'll be back next time. Thanks for being with us.